Every time I read that gospel, I have to be careful at the end. I remember very well, many, many years ago, the deacon at our parish read the gospel, and at the end he said, and the exalted will be humbled, and the humble will be exhausted. The gospel of the Lord. And I think that's right. The thing about tax collectors is, in Jesus's time and place, and many other times and places, and perhaps in some places even now, the thing about tax collectors is that they support themselves by extortion and coercion. In the Roman Empire, which ruled Israel, Palestine in Jesus's time, the center of the empire would calculate how much it would need to keep operating and then divide that amount up and tell each province how much tax they had to come up with. And in turn, the provincial leaders appointed and supported by Rome would add the amount that they needed to keep the province going and themselves and then divide that up between local areas. And in the local areas, local officials and rulers would calculate the amount they needed and add to it the amount that they needed to satisfy their masters and so on, down to the individual tax collectors, who in turn would do exactly the same thing increase the amount of taxes so that they, the tax collectors, could earn what they needed to survive, thrive, and in some cases even become wealthy. At each level, the taxes rose. It's kind of trickle-down economics of the very worst sort, especially for those from whom the taxes would be collected. Ordinary people, peasants, workers, and the poor. And trickle down also for the tax collector who is being exploited and coerced himself, even as he exploits and coerces others. So it's no wonder the tax collectors in the New Testament show up as great and obvious sinners. <coughs> Elsewhere in Luke, Jesus says, Anyone can love their friends or their neighbors, even the tax collectors. But he goes on, we should love our enemies, even the tax collectors. So in this morning's parable, we have two examples of righteousness of a sort, right standing with God, right relationship with God. According to Luke, the parable is addressed those who think more highly of themselves than they ought and look down on others. So the first character is the Pharisee. It's important to note here that he actually is a righteous man by all appearances. He doesn't steal or commit adultery or otherwise exploit his neighbors. And he tithes and he makes offerings to God regularly and faithfully. By all appearances, he is righteous. That is, he does stand in right relationship with God. But 
And then there's the other obviously unrighteous man, the tax collector, the exploiter, the extortionist, who uses his position to harm his neighbors. No way does he stand right with God. But the righteous Pharisee looks down his nose at the tax collector. He praises himself by disdaining him. He glories in his own righteousness, is standing with God in no small part by disparaging the sinful and apparently unrepentant tax collector. Well, what does that say about the Pharisee's relationship with God? The tax collector begs for mercy. He recognizes his sinfulness. He owns it. He feels the weight, the depth, the burden of it. And he laments and pleads with God for mercy that he can only hope God will extend. There's no way he's earned it. And what does that say about the tax collector's relationship with God? So Jesus says, it's the tax collector who went away from the temple in right relationship with God. It's the tax collector who is justified or made righteous. what he thinks and that makes it pretty obvious what we should think too the tax collector is the one who stands right with God even though he is a sinner and shows no indication that he's going to amend his life but he stands before God precisely as who he is he makes no bones about it he's a sinner and only God can save him only God can show him mercy and so he begs for God to do so. He puts his trust wholly and entirely in God, and he yearns with his whole being for God to save him. Their hand seems pretty satisfied that he's already in good relationship with God and can pretty much just keep on doing what he's been doing. He seems to have no awareness that his disdain for his neighbor, tax collector, is problematic, let alone sinful. As far as he's concerned, he's righteous, full stop. So we can see Jesus's point. And it is tempting, really tempting, to do a simple reversal here and say to ourselves, Thank God I'm not like that Pharisee over there who thinks he's so great. I go to church, I make my confession before I receive communion, I pray for those in need, I pledge, I volunteer, I'm kind and generous, not like that Pharisee. It's not that simple. <laughs> Because the thing about the tax collector is this, he looks only to his own sin. He's got his eye on the beam, if you will, in his own eye rather than the splinter in the Pharisees. He laments the wrong and evil that he does, and he begs God for mercy. He trusts in God wholly. 
He needs only God to make him righteous, not himself, and not any comparison with anyone else. And in this parable, that is the point. We ourselves cannot put ourselves in right relationship with God. Only God can do that. Only God's mercy, only God's grace can save us. That is, put us in the relationship with God that we yearn for and that God yearns for. The tax collector begs God for what he needs. And according to Jesus, he is the one who is then in right standing with God. Now Jesus specialized in reversals, in turning things upside down as he does here, as he does in the other parables we've heard over the past several weeks. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. The high and mighty will be humbled and the humble, the downtrodden, will be raised up. Those who appear righteous may very well not be, while those who appear to be great sinners may in fact be in right relationship with God. These reversals give us hope that God may yet overturn everything that's wrong with us, everything that's wrong with the world, and put things right also assure us that no matter how helplessly sinful we may feel in ourselves, God may yet show us mercy, heal us, and make us whole. And those reversals show us some things about what it means to be rightly related to God and to others, to neighbors, strangers, enemies, and all. Be like the tax collector acknowledge and bewail our sins and wickedness and throw ourselves on the mercy of God, trusting that God will extend it to us and to others. Who has nothing but one coin that she can't even find and offer what we have to God in gratitude for even the least little thing. Be like the man with two sons who rejoices that the lost one is found and welcomes him back, but then stays outside the feast with the son who is disgruntled. Like the Samaritan, who is the true neighbor to the one in distress. Be like Jesus, who hangs out with all the wrong people, sinners, outcasts, prostitutes, and yes, even tax collectors, and loves them as they are. And today's parable reminds us, beg God for mercy, mercy that only God in his great love for all that he has made, only God can provide. Mercy that we need because after all, we are sinners too. We may not be literally like the tax collector, individually and directly exploiting our neighbors, but God knows we're enmeshed in a society and a culture where exploitation and coercion and disparagement, particularly of the already vulnerable, is far too often the rule of the day. Our society, our culture, our whole world needs mercy too, and we do well to plead with God for it and to live our lives in ways that challenge and upend whatever we can 
that degrades human beings and the world itself. All of that seems pretty straightforward to me, in theory. Of course, it's easier said than done, and we all know it. Whether we stand in the sanctuary and plead for mercy, or beg for it in the silence of our hearts, we all need it. But I'm left with one niggling question about this parable. Why doesn't Jesus say that the tax collector should give up his sinful ways and stop being a tax collector? Why doesn't the parable have a happier ending? Why does he leave the tax collector as he is? Perhaps simply that's not the point that Jesus is making here or that the author of Luke is making at this point. After all, elsewhere in Luke, Jesus tells Zacchaeus, the tax collector, to come down out of the tree so Jesus can eat with him. Zacchaeus then exuberantly vows to give up what he has extorted, make amends to those he has harmed, and live a new life. So maybe the point here really is about self-righteousness, and that's that. Jesus wants his hearers to realize that loving the tax collector exactly as who he is, an extortionist and a coercer, is how they should live. Or maybe Jesus wants his hearers to realize their own sinfulness and what they should do about it, throw themselves on God's mercy and trust God to forgive and heal them. Jesus just wants to leave his hearers hanging so that they, so that we, have to think about it, work through it, and figure something out ourselves. Maybe all four. I don't know. But I know I've been thinking about that tax collector ever since I read this morning's gospel. <laughs>